Good evening. Good evening. It is Thursday, February 4th in Black History Year. And I am Miss Kindness Ramirez. We are here for the third episode of Bridges. Today's special. Today it's very special because it's the first one of 2021. And um, the topic is highly, highly charged and necessary. And I'm gonna quote my friend who will join us today. Radical growth is happening. So now is the time to shine lights in the shadows. I'm really excited to be here. I'm always grateful for this experience and I'm humbled to be doing this work with these women who are on the screen with me. Thank you all for being here and committing to doing the work and being a part of Bridges. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Ms. Kindness. Hi, everybody. My name is Samantha Montanero, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tokativity. Bridges is important for more reasons than I can name, and today's episode digs deep. Our society has been built on racist and oppressive systems using cultural stigmatization for control. The power of suggestion, social trends, and herd mentality are powerful. Let's take the narrative back into the people's hands and work together to make bridges of healing. If we aren't dissecting and breaking down the stigmas surrounding mental illness in black communities, we're missing the opportunity for a root solution to making really big change. Cultural healing starts with individual healing. Emotional health, support, and wellness should not be a privilege. My name is Lisa Snyder. I am the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Tokativity. As an ally, it is important for us to show up and stand up for black women and men. This series was created intentionally to make bridges among us and to help us understand one another, as well as to help us build bridges with others outside of today's conversation. This topic is important to me because as a white woman, I've been privileged to never have to wonder if my doctors and medical team have my back. I do not and have not understood what my black friends and colleagues have experienced in the world and what their personal relationships are to the stigma of mental illness. I'm here to listen and learn on how I can contribute to supporting a different experience for them and others like them out in the world. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, everybody. My name is Nikia Delaware, and I am the CCO of Tokativity. Now, Bridges is extremely important, especially this episode, the stigma of mental illness in the Black community. Uh, for me, this is extremely personal. And in my own mental health journey, I have had to unlearn many habits, especially throughout my 20s. And I just wish that my parents and my parents' parents had a safe space to unlearn things. And going through unlearning, I've, I've learned that that's what you need, a safe space without judgment to progress, to grow. Thank you. Thanks, thanks everyone. Hi, I am Tiffany Watkins. I am the founder and CEO of Vanguard Media Online a platform for women in cannabis. Bridges is incredibly important to me as well. It does have a multitude of service to our communities as a whole, but for black people, having a place that's safe where we can discuss issues such as mental 
health awareness is so important because as everyone has alluded to, we don't get a fair shot to tell our story, to tell our pain without being judged or without it feeling like it just doesn't matter at all. So this is a very important conversation for both sides, just to kind of understand where everyone's coming from. Bridges is incredibly important to me for another reason, because with this bridge, I know that my children who are of mixed race won't have to work so hard to find identity if we do it right now. So I'm glad that everyone's joined us. And I hope that you get a lot and as much as we do from these panels, we just really hope that you're getting as much. Thanks. Namaste sisters. Yes. Um, thank you all. So I, I am Ms. Kindness Ramirez. I am your host, your guide for today's episode of Bridges. I am the CEO and founder of Club Kindness. I've made it my mission to teach cannabis consumers how to responsibly and safely use cannabis as a part of their wellness practice. Uh, cannabis is a part of my wellness practice. And as leading women in cannabis, we found that there was something we could do. And it was to use our platform and use our voices to create this space um, and hopefully foster some tools for greater collaboration and healing. So let's talk about the stigma of mental illness in the black community. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Bridges is a project, um, it's a series, it's an event series. It is all designed to foster collaboration and healing. And in this first phase, we have decided to focus on some very critical issues, race, equity, inclusion. Um, we've already covered topics like tokenism, black history, the war on drugs, and we have a lot more to discuss. Uh, tonight's topic is mental health in the black community. We're gonna address the stigma and hopefully begin to develop some greater tools for healing. Club Kindness and Tokativity, we decided to come together to do this, to really provoke thought, right? This is about learning. How can we learn to better understand one another? Because then we can figure out how to build the bridges that are necessary to stay connected. I'm honored to be your host. This is very critical work. And I'm gonna be joined in a moment by three awesome ladies on this stage. Um, I've got soon Keisha Bowers coming up, Dr. Rachel Knox and Josiah Madden. We're gonna have an enlightened discussion about the stigma of mental illness in the black community. And in the second hour, as we go into the breakout session, we'll take a moment to listen to Kashana Evans, her story, her beautiful story, her voice, and her power, and she will help us to feel more connected. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And after her story, you, as usual, at all Bridges events, you will have the opportunity to ask questions of the panelists. If you look here on the right in the event tab, you can chat there, you can ask questions there. There's also a link that Tokativity will post where you can click. And if you have questions that you may not wanna come on stage and ask, please type them in. We want this to be a safe space. So enter them in that space. And in the second hour, Tiffany Watkins will come on and help guide that conversation and make sure that your questions get addressed. We appreciate you being here and we're happy to be learning alongside you. I am humbled and always, always grateful uh, to be able to foster these conversations. So look, 
I'm black. <laughs> and, you know, black people are often revered for our strength. It's like, it's this, it's in the roots of this generalized perception that, that we can handle so much. And we are, we're very strong. But unfortunately in that belief, there is this idea that mental illness and weakness are synonymous and we need to do away with that. Our ancestral trauma, the lack of culturally sensitive therapists and other unfortunate norms only perpetuate this issue. So that's why we're here today to talk about this because if one of us is suffering, we know that all of us are suffering and that's what Bridges is about. We're gonna get into some conversations that will be charged. Uh, some subject matter may be triggering, uh, even re-stimulative for anyone who may have or be dealing with trauma and healing from it. And we always wanna honor that. And I know that anytime we enter conversations like this, it's important that we enter them at least if we can on the same frequency. So before I invite these ladies to join me on the stage, I'm going to ask you to recognize yourself and where you are right now and know that we are about to enter heart-centered dialogue. So if you will, begin to just breathe deeply. Inhale for five seconds. Exhale for five seconds. Breathing at a pace that's comfortable for you. Close your eyes, please. And just keep breathing. Now, I want you to imagine, imagine that your heart has nostrils, that it can actually breathe. You can breathe into your heart. Sometimes placing your hand over your heart helps. Guide your mind's eye to your heart and just breathe. Now I want you to focus on your intention for this event. Continue to breathe through your heart. What do you hope to learn? Begin to access your deepest level of compassion and just breathe. Slowly come back. Open your eyes when you're ready. Thank your heart for being ready to receive. I'm very much looking forward to this discussion today. I wanna to thank you again for all being here, for being willing participants in this discussion, for being open and being ready to learn. Dr. Rachel Knox 
is going to join me on the stage. Ms. Jasai Madden is going to join me on the stage. And all the way from Ghana, Africa, Ms. Keisha Bowers is going to join me on the stage. So in a moment, they'll be up here. And we're going to begin this critical, critical discussion. Hello. All the way from Ghana, Africa. <laughs> Hi. Greetings. Welcome to the stage, Josiah Madden. Welcome to the stage, Keisha Bowers and Dr. Rachel Knott. Thank you for being here with us. Can everyone hear me? Can everyone is good? Yes. Yes. I think so. Welcome. Welcome to Bridges. Thank you for being here. Um, how y'all feeling? Great. Good. Yes, wonderful. Great. Good. We always want to, you know, I want to be responsible with, with what we're doing. Um, this, this, I mean, this conversation is, is vital. We know that. And I want to thank the three of you ladies for joining me again for such a critical, critical event series. Um, but first, I just want to make sure that everyone watching knows who you are. So I'll just go clockwise on my screen. Keisha Bowers is at one o'clock. So introduce yourself. Thank you for being here. Thank you all. Greetings. I um, Ms. Kindness and the Tokativity family, Vanguard, Bridges, everyone. This is really, I, I felt super empowered to, to have attracted an opportunity where there's this expansion happening. It's always nice to be a part of expansion. So that was exciting for me. My name is Keisha Bowers and I'm coming to you all all the way from Ghana, West Africa. <laughs> I am a mental health professional. I have a practice where I call my work transformative healing. Um, as an MSW, I specifically focus on inner child healing emotional trauma and inner child healing and recovering from emotional wounds. So my work is centered around that awareness and consciousness about how our trauma affects our adult lives. But I'm in Africa because I um, embarked on a project here where we're building a gated community for diasporans, people of color, melanated people, black and brown faces to return to Africa. So I facilitate the process of repatriation and it was so appropriate because we're working with hempcrete and looking into using hemp as concrete and all that good stuff. So when I, you know, all of the connections make so much sense. So mm -hmm. um, I also have an NGO here and we have three orphanages that we sponsor and do work, um, provide clean water, school supplies and all of that good stuff. So, yes, thanks for having Man. me. Thank you, thank you so much for being here and, and for making this happen. I know when I asked you, we, we had to check time zones to make sure, so I know it's late there um, and I appreciate you making space for this. Yeah. We will um, wait for Dr. Knox in the clockwise position because I think we've lost her video for a minute, but Ms. Josiah Madden, my personal dear friend and uh, personal guru. <laughs> you know, I look to you for wellness a lot of the time. Welcome. I, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, 
My name is Josai and I am a teacher. I think I think that's the sort of first place I like to always start. Um, and I teach mindfulness and particularly mindfulness through reframing. Um, my background is that I am a trained Kundalini yogi um, and I facilitate uh, silent spaces, fasting spaces, stillness spaces so that people can gather together um, or even in their private space and create opportunities to sort of see themselves and lean into themselves and pause long enough to bridge the gap of our thinking and emotions and our actions so that we can navigate some of the challenges that we are experiencing um, in our interior lives and in our external environment. <laughs> so I know we're gonna get into exactly how you do that, but listen, y'all, it's real. <laughs> I have really learned so much from Josai and just how to be present and exactly where I am. And so I'm grateful to have you be here part of this discussion today. Thank you. Dr. Knox is back on the screen. I can see you and hear you. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that worked out because you were all coming in beautifully for me and I can see you all that whole time. So I, I don't know what that glitch was. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. Um, but I am so happy to be here. Um, you know, my, my work intersects <laughs> with everything. You know, my background is in family integrative and functional medicine, uh, but I specialize in endocannabinoidome, um, formerly the endocannabinoid system. Right, so I am one of four doctors conventionally trained in my family who have pivoted into what we call endocannabinology. Um, we study cannabinology and our practice is considered integrated and functional cannabinoid medicine. Um, you know, endocannabinology is a study of the function and dysfunction of our endocannabinoid system. Now research is showing us that it's much bigger than we even fathom. That endocannabinoid <laughs> is what controls everything else in our body. I like to call it the, uh, the biomedical, psychosocial, spiritual model of medicine um, because what works on this system? Well, cannabis works on this system, sure. It's probably the most versatile tool we have that works on this system, but psychedelics work on this system. And not only that, cannabimimetics work on the system. And, and cannabimimetics are substances or practices that stimulate and modulate the endocannabinoid system or mimic cannabis or exogenous cannabinoids, um, which you know, requires us to talk to patients about their spirituality, about nutrition, about um, their relationships. Do you deep breathe? Do you go out around? Um, do you participate in yoga? All of those things are cannabimimetic at the beginning and the end of the day. Um, and so I, I care very deeply about how uh, the socio-ecological socio factors, I call them, um, impact our endocannabinoid dome. And when I understand, right, and we all understand that the vicious history of, of plant prohibition in this country and how it was weaponized against our people, we have to understand that the, the, these very plants that we celebrate were weaponized and caused the very psychological traumas that these plants can also treat. So a part of this liberation conversation, you know, as a part of it, we have to, we have to bring in that history. 
we have to talk about policy and regulation and the, and the integrous stewardship of this industry and this space and this political landscape at this time. So I think I'm a doctor for all of those things. <laughs> um, and, and that's really my story. Well, listen, I'm, <laughs> you just, that's, those are all the topics we're going to get into today. No, <laughs> we're going to try to, we're going to touch on them. We're going to, we're going to open up this heart space because you said a lot and, and I want to highlight as well. Yes. Um, your video has gone, your video has left the screen, but that's okay. We can hear you. We can hear you loud and clear. So I'm hoping that you'll just pop in or whatever's happening on your side. You'll, you'll get back in here um, via video. And also, Dr. Knox, if you do want to like leave and come back, um, it's okay. We can we can try to get you back that way, but we can hear you. So stick with us if you if that's easier. Can you hear me? Okay, Dr. Knox. Okay, so I think yes, that, I um, absolutely oh. can. Absolutely. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like I, said, just, I see just stay you all. Us. I see you all and hear you all beautifully. No glitches on my end. I don't know. I'm gonna try to figure it out. We love it. Gotta love the internet. But that's what we're doing. This is how we're trying to stay connected. Okay, so listen, thank you all ladies for being here. Thank you for those introductions. I think it helps everyone listening to understand why I chose each of you to be here with us today. But if not, I wanna say I chose these women because for me, the stigma of mental illness or mental wellness or mental health in the black community, uh, it, it needs to go away, right? So that's what we do. We first wanna address the stigma. We wanna look at the history of why. We wanna look at how it fits within this entire system. Uh, and then we also wanna look at systems for solving it, tools for dealing with it, tools for healing. And I think that is all encompassing. So what we try to do with Bridges is bring, uh, I don't know, a spectrum <laughs> of specialists to come together and talk about the topics that we're approaching. So I think you heard that in our introductions and I'm ready to get into the conversation. So let's do this. The first thing we have to do when we talk about any sort of stigma around anything is really define it. That's what we wanna do first. Let's define stigma and let's define some of the things that we might think historically, we see you again, Dr. Knox, uh, contributed or have contributed to what might be perceived as a stigma. And if you don't think there is a stigma around mental health or mental wellness in the black community, speak to that as well. So I will ask you first, Josiah. The things that have contributed to the stigma. Yeah, let's, well, let's, let me be more succinct. Let's first, let's define the stigma. What is it? Is there a stigma? Of mental Absolutely. Well, so so this is the deal. I come from a family of women who have been clinically diagnosed as having mental health challenges. So this is this is a very familiar familial subject for me. Like my grandmother was clinically mentally ill. Um, my aunt clinically on paper, doctors involved. So because I lived with and love people who have been taken care of in this container of our understanding that something is happening to their mental health, um, I hold it gently and close and it doesn't feel far away and it doesn't feel problematic. Um, I do know that 
in our community, sort of broader spectrum. Um, while we all, like most of the people I know, because I deal with women, most of the people I know will share easily. Um, and probably because of the nature of what I do, that they have people in their family that are mentally, um, have, have mental health challenges or them, they themselves. But you, you know, you work specifically in a space, though, where people feel safe. They're almost right. coming to you because they're ready to deal with this. That's the thing. So that's my experience. I know there is a stigma because they have to come to a place. Mm. You see what I'm saying? That there isn't, mm. the world isn't in any embrace of the situation that they're in, that we have to have places and spaces and very particular um, avenues that we can go and be and feel supported because the wider world doesn't recognize or doesn't support or calls it something else that gives us a larger problem um, in the society. So I feel very grateful that that it is the case that that I it, it's close to me and it's okay. But I do know that the reason a space like mine has to exist is because the wider world is mm -hmm. there's no support in the in the broader space. That's it. That's it. I think we're going to we're going to talk a lot about support and, and what it looks like for us um, as, you know, people of color and, and black people. Keisha, what do you think about the historical context of it? Like, where is that stigma coming from? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a big question. You're reading, my, you're reading my mind. You're reading my mind. And I, you know, whenever I talk about mental health and the black community, I have to talk about our position in the United States of America. You ha we have to remember that trauma, DNA recognizes trauma. And there are many, many generations. You don't have to experience something to be affected by it. So we're talking about brown and black people, melanated people in a country. That was, we were through the transatlantic slave trade, we were brought here by brutal savagery. Um, in addition to the experience of, hmm. of being stolen and brought to a foreign land where we were robbed of our language, robbed of our identity, robbed of our sense of self, to then be told that we're free and we can just go and live and be who we are. Our trauma was never addressed. It has only been perpetuated generation. So we have been enslaved longer than mm -hmm. we have been free. We're talking about 50 years. We're talking about 50 years of freedom. 50 years versus 400, 500 years. So what we, we need to talk about really the historical context, systemic, systemic oppression. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about the rape culture and what, how, what that has done to us. So when we talk about the stigma, the stigma exists because of our mm -hmm. um, psychosocial development. So we have been conditioned to believe that no matter what is happening, we need to work and we need to have it together. We don't have the right to have a choice to process what's happening. So when you need to process what's happening, that now culturally that's frowned mm -hmm, upon. Mm -hmm. Get it together. What's the problem? We don't have time to talk about this. Do we have a do we have a history right? of um I don't know, do we have a history of addressing mental wellness pre slavery? Like are we do we see that there is mm. a stigma in African countries? Do we see Dr. Knox? Do you oh 
Okay. <laughs> so I want to touch on that being that I'm here and I'm aware of that experience from traveling and being here and living, you know, back and forth. In, in African traditions and in African spiritual, that connects to our spiritual system that existed before that interruption, okay? Which is appropriate. It's, it's in alignment with tokativity because we're talking about connecting with an herb that comes from the earth. This is what we knew how to do. And in Ghana in particular, what I've been told is we don't have a word. There's no word for mental illness mm -hmm. like depression mm -hmm. in the vocabulary. They believe that the sun and the water heals you and that people should dance around you if you don't feel well in your mind. So there are different constructs around how we heal mm -hmm. and, and that is connected to nature. So speaking of these constructs, because this came up as we were addressing, as we were actually preparing for this dialogue tonight, we did a clubhouse where we solicited sort of what, what people thought, right? What what they thought the stigma was. And, and so as you speak to this historical context of the spirituality, we look to the sun, we look to the elements. Now let's come forward into history. We travel to the Americas. And now we are practicing some of that and we're picking up these new cultures. And now let's jump a little forward to the church. Okay, so now what, I'm, what I've heard and, and what I can speak to from my own cultural experience is that instead of mental illness being recognized, it's turn it over to God or give it to the sun. So Dr. Knox, speak to that. Cause I, I see you nodding like, yeah. How did we get here? Cause did we are fundamentally from disconnected from nature, yes. period, right? This is, this is the legacy of white supremacy and imperialism and not just for people who have been oppressed for white people themselves, right? Um, you know, if I could, if I could take it back just a step, and I hope I won't depart for too long, right? I wanna, there, there, is, there was a recent study in um, prisons and the study compared inmates behavioral health before and after switching their diet from the conventional prison food to a natural whole food diet with supplements. Just switching that natural whole food diet decreased violent outbursts and um, you know, uh, you know, other sort of disruptive behavior by around 60-70%. Just changing from the conventional foods to a natural whole food diet. When they that added is significant, it increased to 85%. They saw better than most medicine change. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I talk about functional medicine, this is functional lifestyle. Right when I when I'm saying it's it's cannabimimetic to go ground right a lot of, we all understand right the healing benefit of deep breathing and centering and all of those things but that's why I call the endocannabinoid dome the biomedical psychosocial spiritual model of medicine because it's connecting everything together we are not connected to nature it was ripped away from us and I you know my question is how many of us know we're even ill the mm. way we live in this society has been so normalized we dismiss it. Like we're literally walking around suppressed, right? COVID-19 is having, you know, uh, the heyday of, you know, it's life cycle <laughs> because our bodies are so inflamed. Our, our immunity is so compromised. And it's, it's simply because we are disconnected from the very thing that gives us, us life. Just think about it. We walk around with rubber is that everyone all or is it more is it more black people? Is it just because of the same inequalities or inequities that exist are gonna exist? And so everything that hits everybody hits us harder? 
Well, we, our, our communities have been disproportionately disinvested in, right? We're more likely to live in food deserts. We're more likely to live in concrete jungles. We are more likely to be removed from the very thing that gives us life. And what's really remarkable when we think about, um, you know, ethnobotany, when we think about the originals people who cultivated their original knowledge, who cultivated the, um, the, the, uh, the science, and the wisdom, right? We, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we have an arc where, for example, let's take cannabis. Black enslaved people cultivated the knowledge around hemp production in this country during slavery. They leave it out of the textbook that we grew hemp right alongside cotton. Why? We know why, right? They wanted to erase that from our history. So our peoples cultivated- And justify, the, very, and justify the war on drugs. The very cash crop that is now once again touted to become a multi-trillion dollar global industry, right? So talk about misappropriation. Mm. I mean, the same thing's <laughs> going to happen to the psychedelic space and psilocybin if we're not careful to ensure that we decolonize policy and regulation, that we prioritize using these industries for, yep, restitution, got to pay back what you denied or what you stole, for reparation and revitalization. And unfortunately, we have to be a part of these conversations to start to demand that. We made this. We have to. <laughs> we made it rich. Give it back. <laughs> And allow us That's to support, you know. <laughs> I and, always and for, say, like, aren't we the original Americans? Because we built this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. so much to unpack, yeah. you know. To but, but, my, but my original point was, you know, we we've all taken wellness for granted because of innovation, right? Because mm -hmm. of um, convenience, those things have their merits. But we've done we've done all this at the expense of our own well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now, like you said, we, we have to unlearn some things. We also have to um, remind ourselves from some We do, we have to address some things too. We have to address some very specific things. So I'm glad that you uh, started to transition to that, to that place because I wanna talk about that. Like if we look at the history, we understand that. Remember, this is also a forum where we wanna teach and we wanna make it really understandable and relatable for people. So let's talk about the specifics and some of the nuances in why we in present day Black America, globally, frankly, don't feel comfortable addressing our own mental wellness. Um, and I'm gonna open it up. I want this to be a conversation. So what is, what, is, what is distracting us or detracting us right now from going and saying, I'm feeling depressed, I need to get therapy? Shame, shame, the shame culture. Shame and guilt and blame, the low vibrational emotions that you know, because of family expectations, um, belief systems about who you are and how you should show up. And that if you need help with your mind, you know, if you have a cut and it's obvious, people are comfortable with going to the emergency room because they, 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 they don't feel it was their fault. An accident happened. They mm. have a cut. But when it comes to your mind, that's you feel like something is wrong with you. So... Mm -hmm. What I, what my, you know, the community that I serve, what's often reported to me is, you know, I, my mom, my dad, my fam, family members, these expectations of, you know, I, I, I have to have it together. I'm, people don't feel like they're enough, which makes sense. Um, we live in a culture where brown and black people are murdered 
at alarming rates mm -hmm. by the police, the people who should be protecting us. So when we and then we're speaking to a media culture too that it, that's all we see exactly. all day long, every day. That yeah. this is how our people yeah. get treated. And when I think about yeah. my children, and and my son has no concept of what that feels like other than what he's been exposed to, right, at eight or ten years old. And so having to decide to teach him how to interact based on what he looks like. Well, at the same time, I want him to access this core center of a loving self that doesn't see or have to, not doesn't see it, but doesn't have to feel impacted greatly by what his exterior looks like. I mean, these these are the things we, that's the shame, I think, the piece of that shame that you're talking to or how it can become something that we develop. Absolutely. What, what about like going to the doctor and not seeing anybody that looks like me? Like I just, I can't remember the last time I had a black doctor that I didn't have to go and search for and ask oh, someone to refer me. Recent recent studies have shown us. We, so the data is clear. People of color do better when they are cared by by a provider of color. Period. Mm -hmm. Right from from birth rates to you know um, just improved outcomes for treating diabetes. I mean, it doesn't matter. We know that it is critical for patients to have providers who look like them. You know, end of story. You know what, Ms. Kindness, I want to say something because there is there is an obvious here um, that I think that we're not saying and society is not saying. Mm -hmm. The very first challenge is that from the beginning here on this soil, Black people were not considered human. So if we have to really, really start from the very difficult beginning, and that's not a metaphor, a euphemism, literally a Real. black human, a woman who could be impregnated and have a baby and, and, and grow a life. This was all considered non-human behavior if the person was a melanated person. So the, Yet the they could care for other lives. Right. So the misunderstanding is ground level, root level. So until we can acknowledge that all the ways that we have cultivate, cultivated trying to cope in a culture that didn't even consider us human really aren't reaching the, the, the beneath the soil. They're really not, they're not gonna reach that because a doctor who has been tooled at the sort of DNA level that there's something different about this woman sitting in front of me than another woman, that her pain is different mm -hmm. than another woman's pain, that her the, her outlook and the reason why she might be um, feeling this way could be an, an overreaction where it, we would think it was a real reaction. And some, like, that's the problem that we are not understanding well, that let's articulate that. Are... Let's articulate that for our guests. You are talking about things that have happened historically, like literal fake science to justify we are stronger physically. We don't need anesthesia. Just fake. Just fake. Just fake. If we can't say that, if we can't say that the Eugenics. powers that be, that the leadership, that the government have all pulled the wheel over everyone's eyes in the name of this thing that they're still trying to just grab from all of us all the time. 
<laughs> and just that even the other side of the spectrum, right? We just can't be authentic. That's it. Because <laughs> when, we, when, we, when we're exercising our emotions, we're going overboard. So you want to under-treat us, but then when we show up, now we're overreacting. Yeah. Um, we're yeah. not allowed to be authentic and live in our middle ground. We're not. And and this is the thing. It's, it's now big problematic because mm. the culture has never gotten to get used to what it is like to interact with a real authentic black woman, black man. So because they're raised differently, cultivated differently, uh, you know, reared differently, it is, it is an overreaction. It is more than they have ever experienced. It is those things. It doesn't mean that it's not okay. It doesn't mean this is the way it, it is. This Not is the way it is. That's why I say everybody needs that to go. We out are and the way we are, and that that's how we are. This that's is the it. part that's, that's difficult. It. This is the part that's and difficult. It's one of the reasons why I showed up on screen today like this. Because there is an idea. There is an idea that somebody who knows what I know and does what I do and owns the magic that I have would never be dressed like this. This is how I'm dressed. What does that have you to do with anything? But no, their programming, come up. No. Yeah, their programming is as tweaked to a particular angle as ours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, so that you know, authenticity, that's a theme, that's a theme of bridges. It's, yeah. it's showing up as we as we are, showing up as who we are, being authentic. You know, it came up a lot in the tokenism discussion. Like, what does that mean? Um, go ahead, uh, Keisha. I'm sorry. I know you wanted to say something. Oh, no, I was saying that I'm, I'm just I like hit the nail on the head because but we've been so conditioned to try to assimilate that who we are isn't enough and that we need to fit into white American constructs. We need to fit into the societal norm and we need to be, you know, so we don't know who we are. We've been dehumanized. Three fifths human. Mm. It's. Mm. You hit the nail mm. on the head. And so and so the work I do really is about waking people up, women in particular, up from the center. Because when you come and see me, when you come to do the kind of work that we do, what you get an opportunity to experience is you. Sometimes for the first time in ever. That's a really powerful thing to have access to, the real you. And then have somebody clap for that and have somebody mm. give you permission after permission inside of who you really are. Because we can't affect any kind of change as somebody we aren't. That part. <laughs> if there was a live studio audience. <laughs> Listen, this is why we're having these conversations. I. I cannot wait till the day we can be in a room doing this. But wait. yes, you, this is coming through. Every the time, every time I, I give testimony, like every time I'm talking to the legislature or, or, or regulators or whatever, I'm I'm always leaving like, oh God, did I do too much? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk, let's let's get into that. Let's talk about that too. I go through that. You touched on it a little bit. We all went into this a little bit in like how we have to show up and how we get perceived, you know. Everybody knows, or most people know, my story is pretty, pretty loud and clear. I grew up around, I grew up around people that didn't look like me. I was the only one that looked like me in all of my schools, and it, it 
while it gave me great exposure and uh, a certain access to information and culture that I might not have had otherwise, uh, it also meant that I became like the representative, right? So, oh, are all black people loud? Or is this how it is? I happen to be loud. I don't know if it's because I'm black, I'm just loud. <laughs> but being that representative and fighting the media and, and coming forward and, and not feeling like we can be ourselves. I mean, it, it's sort of us creating our own insanity. I mean, speak to that. Anybody? Yes. It, 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 is, it is the inability to live free in a world we have to live in. It will make you nuts. We have to be here. We have to eat. We have to feed our children. We are creative people. So we have to create from the inside of us, but it's so stifled all the time. The ideas are too extra. The ideas are not enough. The way you look is too extra or the way you present is not. Like it's it's like shaking us all the time. No wonder that our heads are like, I have so we don't feel me. safe. We don't feel safe to even just ask for any help Absolutely because not. it's chaos. Absolutely yeah. not. Because what we also know is that if one person asks the wrong question at the wrong time, we will lose it. We will, like so many of us live right there all the time. Having to hold that. When I tie women, I have to say to them 10 times, relax your belly. Relax your belly. Relax your belly. If you don't relax your belly now, I have heard that. I have never personally... relax your belly again because we don't know how to do it. We don't know that we're not doing it and we don't know how to do it. And I'm talking if the person standing in front of me is 7, 37, or 71. We don't get to relax. I understand that. Well, Let's talk about, I have also heard you say relax your belly to me several times. Relax your belly. I, I know what that means. Let's talk about this, you know, because Keisha, you're doing this practical working also, it, much like Josiah is one-on-one -on -one with clients with this healing process. What are some of the practical applications you use or you've seen work in, in helping break down this and helping people receive help? receive help. I help people feel because we're not conditioned to feeling our feelings. And it's through the process of thought, talk therapy, really bringing in a, an awareness to their triggers, being aware. So you, it's, it's an inside out job. You know, the only way out is in. This is what mm -hmm. I always say. So the conversation that might be scary because, you know, change is uncomfortable. And when we talk about paying attention to how we respond to our triggers, we're talking about change. Because once mm. you know, you grow. That's, that's my motto. <laughs> once you know, you grow. So my work is strictly around, I mean, yeah, I incorporate Reiki and we talk about crystals and we talk about, but bringing in awareness, I tell people all the time, you have to get closer to yourself. It's never about the other people. Some people will come and we're so conditioned to attach ourselves to the victim mindset mm. Mm. where we mm. want to blame others and we want to say, you know, that this person didn't support me or this person. It's always about you. How did you respond? How did you feel? 
How did you feel? That that is like a magical question. People don't want to feel their feelings. But I wanted to I talk about like what you're Oh, okay. Go ahead. Because I feel oh, no, like we're I, all I, coming from an enlightened space right here. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, I was saying when, when Josai was speaking, and you know, I was thinking when I come to Africa and I come back to America, like I'm here for over a month right now. Mm. I go through a depression for at least two to three weeks because here mm. everything is colorful. Everything is alive. Everything is awake. Black people talk to each other because it's a black country. And I'm here with my children. And my daughter was like, there's nothing around about Black Lives Matter because it could matter. <laughs> and, you know, and so I you are here with me and this is it's so important for them to be in a space where they can be who they are without any inhibitions. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about someone saying to them, you're too loud or you're not supposed to be talking to strangers or you're not. They can just be that it's happening. America is not the representation of the world. Mm. But I want to say, I want to say this. I love that. America is not the representation of the world. Actually, let's go ahead and catch that. Say that one more time right <laughs> into the camera. Keisha Bauer, say it again. America is not the representation of the world. Thank you for that. And I, and I'm so challenged by this raising small children because I have to teach them this. I want to show them this and I don't, I don't want them to be out there feeling fear that they don't necessarily need to fear. Uh, well, at the same time, teaching them how to just be safe because you, this is how you have to move in this space. And that was just so wonderful to have that, um, that expression to hear that. We get those nuggets in, this, in Bridges. I see you dying to say something, Dr. Knox. Jump in there. This is, this is a couch conversation. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm trying to keep myself on mute, but I'm over here always interject like, mm -hmm, yeah. that's right. <laughs> my lips no, I, I can relate. I, you know, I was uh, uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands twice last year to do cannabis work, um, to give a few presentations and, and consult um, with their uh, cannabis commission. And I'll tell you, it felt different. I just mm. felt different. There was absolutely a, a weight off my shoulders. Everybody around there looks a variation of me, right? It looks like us here and different colors of us. Um, and it was at the end of my first visit that I, that I figured it out. I was like, I feel so much more comfortable here. Mm. Doing the same thing I do, like what I, what I was doing was no, no different. I was, and I chose a long time ago in this space to just show up authentically. So I go yeah, in, yeah, in front of yeah. whatever, and I speak this truth, but I always leave like, they might not invite you back. Um, that's that's what I wanted to say. Let me, if I can, Dr. Knox, that no, we are, you said you, you decided a long time ago to show up as you are. You know, Josiah is talking about this authenticity. Yeah. Keisha is empowered from Ghana, raising children international. Like we're, we're, I'm here doing bridges. So we are all coming from a post you know, a sort of enlightened yeah. space, a more empowered space. I really want to make sure that we honor the people who don't even well, know how to start from where they are. Let me tell yeah. you, every, and this is almost 100% of the time, I leave that room, I get off that stage, or if it's a panel, whatever, I'm, I second guess myself all the time. I have to tell myself, you did the best you could. You show up authentically, that's the best you could have done. Like, whatever consequence, it's going to come, right? Um, and so, but I have to remind myself, it is a, a like point of care, <laughs> that's what we say in medicine. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. In real time, I have to be an encouragement to myself. 
And so, yes, I, so that so that I mostly catch it. I don't catch it 100% of the time. Don't get me wrong. Like, illuminate mm -hmm. hours or a couple of days sometimes when I'm when I have outside of my comfort zone, um, you know, second guessing mm -hmm. my authenticity, right? But yeah. I, I have, I'm better and I get better and better every time I remind myself why I'm here and doing the yes. work I'm doing. You know, it's when Rachel said there, the U.S. Virgin Islands, it felt different because everybody looked like her. I looked in the space, like I looked around this room because I used to work in HR 20 years. And so most of the time I was the only brown face in the room and I was um, in management and, and, you know, hiring. And so there would be a point where I would have to talk. And I thought to myself, when you said that, Rachel, what is what is the difference? Like what's happening when I look around the room and I see people who mostly look like me, I know two things. I know that I trust them and they trust me. They know that I'm qualified because there is no disqualifier on its face of the way I look. Like, so they have to be, they're really paying attention to what's present because I'm not simply being discounted or like, oh, it's her turn, the tokenism, it's her turn to mm -hmm. talk because there has to be somebody brown in the room to talk. But then when she's done talking, then we'll listen to that. There's none of that. For me, that's what it felt like. Like I'm here, we're listening. I'm listening to Keisha and I'm listening to you, Rachel, and, and you, Miss Kindness. I'm not trying i'm i'm not listening for anything other than what you, nothing's impeding me from listening mm, mm. i know what this is saying. something this <laughs> is i do too i do too this is something that white white kids feel all the time right they're growing up in a white in their community right everybody around them looks like them they feel safe and i will say this yeah. from my perspective i think black children who i didn't grow up with probably felt that way in their neighborhoods in their neighborhoods right not not what was on tv some of us were in the middle trying to figure out where we were safe but the second you left that neighborhood right this is a problem with segregation the second you leave that neighborhood you're faced with this anti-blackness or this perception of whiteness or whatever all that is and then obviously all the systemic components of that what's 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 now what's now to be the next steps because because again we're talking about what are the tools we need to build bridges and our allies are in here wanting to help us heal what's next Ooh. don't ask if you could touch my hair no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> no don't, don't be serious about that i actually had to teach my children that so you know we joke because we have to be in jest about these things sometimes to, to cope with the pain but i actually had to address that because I saw my daughter really uncomfortable, my son really uncomfortable, and the look on their face like, oh shoot, I have to teach them to tell people not to touch their hair. Yeah, it's it's, it's so so we go ahead, Keisha. Go ahead, Doctor. <laughs> okay, I was I was gonna say there 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 are two parallel paths here. They have to happen at the same time. We have to address the root cause of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. But while we're doing that, and it's going to take time to assess that and to be begin to lay down the right kind of foundation, you know, upon which we all can begin to heal, truth, truly, 
but we need some Band-Aid medicine too, right? So there are there are technical things, there are acute things that we can address that we can get, get throw some money at, or you know, and equity mm. comes in all forms. You know, I preach health equity as the sum of all equity. And using four buckets, fine, right? Health equity is the net sum of economic equity, environmental equity, human equity, and social equity. Capital doesn't always have to be green, doesn't always have to be cash. How yes. can you flex yes. your social capital, your human capital, and your environmental capital um, to improve you know, acute issues, right? More, more topical issues. But we also have to leverage that same capital to address systemic and root cause issues. You know, and for us um, in cannabis, uh, we're no longer just talking about cannabis as medicine. We see it as literally the most amazing root solution to socioecological problems. When we think about the yes. health, it's not just, I need more access to medical doctors. Like, that's what we talk about. And we're like, we need to improve access to care. Access to the conventional Western medical system that's failing all of us? Really? Is that what we want? No, I don't think so. No, we, we, want, a, we want a whole about, new system? We want we, we need a whole new environment. Like we are yeah. all products of the ecosystems within which we reside. So there's actually a problem with our ecosystem. And if we don't all agree that we need to fix the ecosystem, then we're gonna continue to chase our tails. That's why I brought up the, the prison study, right? If we are not literally taking an acute look at our communities that are most productive of illness and saying, huh, like do they have access to clean air, water, soil, and clean outdoor spaces? Does do people in this community have consistent housing options? Right? I'm telling you, it's gonna be real hard to stay healthy and well. How can mentally, you be mentally well if you can't even eat or be physically well? You got it. So we have to do parallel paths here. We have to do both. We have to address things topically, like I said, with band-aid solutions while we're doing the really hard work of dismantling our systems that are keeping us all sick. And that's what I really like really mad when we try to, you know. Uh, we talk about treating our vulnerable communities, right? Or our most disinvested mm -hmm, communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those who are of privilege are suffering because of our- We never want to look at that. No, if you look, if you look, if you have to look back at how we got here, then that means you have to face the shame of your contribution to it or your, or your active participation in it still. And mm -hmm. people don't want to do that, but that's what we're, that's, that's what this is for. Well, that and that is what and that is what we will do, because we, as Black women, this is the only direction we're going. This is the only direction we're going, and we are faced now with the reality that America has always been faced with when it comes to Black people and Black women in particular. We will do what we will do, and then everything else will sort of follow. I mean, that's, mm. that's it. I mean, we've watched, we watched in this last election, like when we're done doing this, we're done doing this because mm. we've tried mm. to play by the yeah. rules. We've tried to do the hair, like you said, and we've tried to, you know, raise the children, like you said, and educate the children, like you said, and it's not working. We can't show up as anything but us. And I happen to, because I live in a space where I'm watching women every minute of the day. Like if you see mm -hmm. one of them, those mm -hmm. ticker time tickers, I'm watching women every mm -hmm. minute of the day wake up inside of themselves. You're mm -hmm. not gonna be able to mm -hmm. contend with them in the same kind of way that you tried to contend with a woman who was asleep. 
Mm. And so if we're saying, (laughs) help us understand how we can help you. I think one of the things we can do is make room, create space, like literally create spaces for people to feel safe and to become more of themselves. And and, And I didn't have a cannabis group. The first time I um, consumed cannabis, I was a grown-up grown-up, like 35-ish. Um, but this is what I knew immediately. And and because I'm, I was grown, like I had a son that had been in high school, and so you have to do the battle, especially with all the programming we had around cannabis and with the Black mm-hmm. son. I was like, no, you can't smoke weed. You're a football player. You can't, you know, the whole thing. Um, when I smoked weed for the first time, I was like, oh, this is why they don't want us to do it. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I felt. Oh, I had my teacher in that teacup. I said, oh, they didn't want us to know no. this. They didn't want us <laughs> to know. When I started seeing patients in, for cannabis, total different demographic. I mean, I don't care what, what color you were. I don't care what you did, you know, as your profession. There was a remarkable difference between patients who were consuming cannabis and patients who weren't. I, I mean, just inherently wiser, inherently more enlightened. Mm-hmm. It was stark and, and striking. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and the thing you said, Dr. Rachel, which which piqued all kinds of bells and whistles in me, you, you, you're you using these big grown-up doctor words, endocannabinoids. Endocannabinoids. Okay, so... so Cannabis is what it is, right? Cannabis has cannabinoids. Yeah. I don't know why they made even that a fancy word, but they did. Um, <laughs> c- cannabis, right? Researchers are studying this plant trying to figure out how it worked in the body. Interestingly, several years after the FDA had already approved a THC derivative. So they approved it, but they didn't even know how it worked, but decided to figure it out. And so they used um, a synthetic THC molecule to track you know, where it went in the body. And they discovered the cannabinoid one receptor, the first cannabinoid receptor. Um, so the, uh, exogenous in medicine means derived from outside of the body. Endogenous means derived from within the body. So when they discovered that we make our own cannabinoids, they called them endogenous cannabinoids or endocannabinoids. Endocannabinoids. Yeah. So, she, so now I'm going to give it to you real like high school teacher speak. High school teacher speak, just I, inside our body. We have exactly what communicates directly with what's inside that plant. And when we introduce it to our body, they start talking in a way that makes all Listen. this harmony. Real quick, real quick. Every animal has this system except for the insect. Yes. Yes. And it's a 600 yes. million year old system. And it wow. creates cannabis. And so I'm like, God gave us this plant because we were already mucking things up. Gave us this yes. plant to restore life to us. And look what we've done to it. It's so it's so beautiful. It's so yeah. beautiful and so interesting because I feel like you also said something about other activities giving yeah. us the same kind of experience. So when I began to practice yoga and when I began to practice fasting and when I began to practice silence and stillness, I did that right before I started consuming cannabis. And I was stunned that all of the bliss Mm. and all of the peace that I was experiencing in those spaces, I could also experience plus some with cannabis, Mm. except those things 
for most black and brown people are either socially inaccessible at the time mm -hmm. or financially inaccessible. And then weed was illegal. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. no and, freedom. And so we don't there have no well being. We do not have equitable access to well-being in this country. You, you know, my father, my father okay. told me all my life. Okay, my Keisha, Keisha, I want you to I want you to I want you to close us up with what you're about to say, but I need you, Dr. Knox, to say that one more time for the lean, lean in and say it. I gotta remember what I said. <laughs> we do not have equitable access. Yeah, yeah. Well being. Okay. We we say do not again. have we do not have equitable access to well being. That part. Okay. <laughs> Keisha, please, that, please. That brought me in, that brought me in to, to where I was going because I, I, I was like, my father sold marijuana all my life. I, I he was the, the he was the original um, you know, underground person that was trying to bring well-being <laughs> to people. Mm -hmm. And and it was so normal. It was like you, you put it in the rum and you use it to rub your chest if you had a cold. And I came from using cannabis and marijuana in as a, all my life. And I was thinking, as I got older, why are they trying to stop people from just being connected to feeling good? Because I thought this was just something, you know, my grandmother used cannabis. Medicine. She would take the leaf and put it on your head and tie it down if you had a headache. I've been, mm. I've, I grew up seeing that. I, my, mm. you know, and so to now, to it's like, what is really happening? Keisha, real as a side, right? Anslinger said, he's been quoted as yeah. saying, cannabis makes the darkies think they're as good as white people. Whoa. That is a direct quote. It's historical context. It is verifiable. That Say it one more time, Dr. Knox. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Anslinger, Henry Anslinger has been quoted as saying that cannabis makes darkies feel that they are as good as white people. Wow. Yeah. And with that, with that, I'm going to let us all exhale. <laughs> and we're going to move. This, this, the chat is on fire. It's 506. This is always such a beautiful experience at Bridges. I cannot thank each of you ladies enough. We are not finished. I just want to do some quick housekeeping. I want to make sure everybody who breathes. I see them in the chat like, yes. Uh, uh. We're going to transition directly into the breakout session. Stay with me for a moment on the screen, ladies. What happens is on the left-hand side, you'll see there it says sessions. It's actually red. It says now. We're all going to click there in a moment when I say go. Not yet. When I say go, we'll click there in a moment. There's the teacher. You guys like that? <laughs> when I say go, we're going to click sessions. We'll end up in that other room. We'll wait a couple of minutes. We'll all be there together. Our panelists will still be there, but ladies, you can mute and turn off your cameras for a moment. If you want to take a minute, you'll still be able to see. Please stay. Um, Kashana, Kashana Evans is going to join us and she's going to do some beautiful storytelling. And then we're going to open it up to the guests to ask questions for the last 30, 40 minutes of the event. Okay. So you'll be able to hear and see, but you kind of get a little break right now and then get ready because we've got lots of questions. I can see them. All right. So everybody click on the sessions and I'll see you over there in a moment. <laughs>